and warmth and hope and the promise of happiness. Then, increasingly, the present nightmare became jumbled in her mind with previous nightmares, seemingly endless brutalities that she could never have even imagined in her earlier life, and as her strength ebbed away, she began to sob, the hot tears coursing through the caked layers of dirt and blood she could feel on her face, and she knew they would find her soon. They came quietly in the end, a single pencil beam of torchlight focusing on her face, dazzling her. There was no strength left in her, and she did no more than moan as they picked her up roughly, carried her a little way, and then let her slip into the icy waters of the canal, where the water closed over her unresisting body with scarcely a ripple. Chapter One Detective Chief Inspector Michael Thackeray sat uncomfortably across a desk from Superintendent Jack Longley, drumming his fingers on the polished surface in frustration. If Longley himself felt any tension, he was concealing it well, his rubicund face bland and his balding head gleaming slightly in the artificial light. But he was watching the younger man intently for all that, as if someone had deposited an unattended package in his office that had to be checked out for explosive possibilities. "'I'm not saying that's what I expect, Michael,' he said. "'I'm just saying it's something maybe you should consider. You may feel okay, but I'm buggered if you look it. You are on the critical list for a week, for God's sake.' Maybe it's time to think about a quieter life. The senior officer's eyes ran quickly over his junior's untidy hair and a dark suit that looked in need of pressing, before fixing on the blue eyes, which seemed weary even at the beginning of a working day. Thackeray glanced away before squaring his broad rugby player's shoulders and meeting Longley's sharp eyes again. And do what? he asked. "'Run some crummy security firm. Go fishing. Take up golf.' Thackeray was offering deliberate provocation to the golf-addicted superintendent, but he refused to rise directly, though sufficiently provoked to step onto forbidden territory himself. "'You could marry that long-suffering lass of yours for a start,' he said. "'That might make you feel better.' Thackeray... Thinner face than he had been, the creases around mouth and eyes deeper, and his unruly dark hair a touch greyer at the temples, froze for a moment, and then shook his head angrily. "'You really think she'd be willing to have me, when I'm on the way to the knacker's yard? That's a no to early retirement, then, is it?' Thackeray looked at his boss consideringly for a moment. "'Are they pushing for me to go? The brass?' he asked quietly. Longley shrugged, and suddenly looked almost as tired as Thackeray himself, as if deflated by the thought of the official hierarchy looming threateningly above them both, looking for scapegoats for their own incompetence. "'I don't think they'd shed many tears if either of us went,' he said. "'Don't kid yourself. We didn't cover ourselves with glory in Staveley, did we?' Two dead who needn't have been, and you as good as. 
The right cock-up, as I'm sure this inquiry they've launched will conclude. And whatever connivance they got at the top, we were the ones in charge of the case. I took over as senior investigating officer while you were away, remember? I took a risk I shouldn't have taken by not waiting for backup in a hostage situation, Thackeray conceded cautiously. I felt I had no choice in the circumstances, and damn near got yourself killed. They don't like that, the brass. It looks bad when the Home Office inspectors come sniffing around. We'd have done better if we'd had proper cooperation from our so-called friends in London, Thackeray said, anger in his voice now. I complained at the time, and I'll tell them again when they ask me for my opinion. Don't worry. I, well... "'We'll both put the best case we can,' Longley said. "'But I blame myself for the little girl. "'We should have looked after her better.'